0: Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. My name is Ashley Giordano. I'm the senior editor of Overland Journal and Expedition Portal. And today we're doing a podcast from the field in beautiful and cold Alberta in the Rocky Mountains with Ference and Evelyn from Overland Site. Welcome, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank
1: Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks for having
0: us. Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: And a special thanks to Terran Designs, For supporting this week's podcast. When you're buying the best for your rig, you might as well do the same for your wardrobe. Terran is the best outdoor apparel on the market and the sharpest looking as well. From their flagship lightweight traveler pants with built in bug repellency to their innovative fire resistant campfire puffy, you can pack lighter, stay fresh longer, and push the boundaries on adventure. Build your kit today at terrandesigns.com. That's T E. R E N because you no longer have to look like you live out of your vehicle. When you actually live out of your vehicle. Thanks again, Taryn.
0: Yeah, so excited. Yay. <laughs> Yeah,
3: excited. as I mentioned yesterday, we were feeling like meeting celebrities. No! like overlanding legends. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Nonsense. I feel that way too, actually, because you guys have done, you've seen a lot of things and gone to a lot of places all over the world. Just tell me how you got into overlanding. What was the beginning of it all?
3: Okay, well, I guess it started with me. Yeah,
1: exactly.
3: And uh, we've, uh, well, I was, uh, I was always into cars when I was a kid. I loved cars. And then I got into traveling in my 20s, I guess. So this is combining the two. And when I, uh, with two of my friends, we decided to enter the Mongolia charity rally. We bought a, a pickup truck on eBay and then we just left from London heading to Mongolia and long story short, we didn't make it to Mongolia with the truck, we made it to Mongolia without the truck. By the time we got to Tajikistan, I, I really kind of finally loved the whole thing and I loved the fact that I'm with my mates, we're going camping, we don't know where we're gonna sleep and we're off-roading, we're going through the sand dunes in Turkmenistan and meeting people that we would never meet as a like a tourist in a, in a regular sense of the world, uh, meaning of the world. Yeah, I just after that trip, we met. And then apparently that's all I was talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He kept talking about this Mongolian rally that he did with his two friends and it took One of
3: the friends is named Ashley. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> The whole trip was five weeks for them and I was thinking about, oh my God, how can you sit in a car for five weeks? I need to you know, get out and do exercises and workouts and everything and they just constantly driving on the road and friends just told me I cannot imagine how cool it is to follow just some tracks in the grass in Mongolia and we should do that someday. He kept talking about this dream and we decided to quit our job in 2017 so we and we also bought a rooftop tent to our or for our. But
3: first, we actually so when we met, we didn't have our Prado. Yeah. But so when we were like going to buy a car, we needed a car. So I was like, okay, what can I, can, what can we buy that's gonna be good for a future trip? We didn't have any plans at that point. Just like, okay, I know that at some point we're gonna do this, and so what is the car that I can drive every day? I can turn it into an overland, and that's when we bought the Prado. And then, like a couple of a yeah. couple of years, or maybe a year later, we like yeah, let's right. buy a rooftop tent. Yeah, That's right. how it started.
1: So in 2016 we bought the Prado, and in 2017 we decided to quit our job. We did in October, and I did in October. and did in December, and we bought bought a rooftop tent, and we went to Scandinavia for two weeks uh, just to test. How am I feeling? You well, that know? was
3: before quitting the jobs, actually, during yeah, yeah, yeah. the summer, like a test trip kind of yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: te- that was a test trip because before that, I have never slept in a tent.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: not even a ground tent. Yeah,
0: not wow. even in a
1: ground tent. What was that experience like? I mean, it was so comfortable because that rooftop tent was quite big with a sponge inside. It was so thick with Like a
3: mat- mattress. A
1: mattress but Basically, it was a sponge, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. A spongy mattress. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that was really comfortable for me, and also the weather was really good. And first, we camped in proper campsites, so we didn't do any wild camp in Scandinavia. I really enjoyed that trip, and on the way back, we just decided to go to Africa because we saw an advertisement or sort of like an advertisement on Facebook that an amateur rally from Budapest is going to to Gambia. So we just decided, okay, let's do another test drive before we do the Singaporean trip.
0: Gotcha. And yeah. you are both originally from Hungary. Yeah. Yeah, we are, yeah. And did you buy the Prado there or somewhere else?
3: Yeah, in Hungary. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just, yeah. Like, it was like nine years old, perfect condition, first owner. It was really good. And then... I actually wanted to do upgrades before we went to Africa. So I got some gear already, I got bought the anger fridge, I bought the rooftop tent, we, we got a few bits and pieces camping stuff. But then I knew if we want to go to Singapore over six months or seven months or however long it was, and then also through the Sahara Desert and everything. I want more than a stock truck. We brought it to a, a place in Austria where they just done all the work and it's got a Australian suspension system now. It's got the snorkel, it's got the rooftop, r- roof rack, it's got the, just the regular, the usual stuff. And we built a drawer system in the back with my dad, just a DIY. We didn't, buy, didn't want to buy an off-the-shelf one. We like, built-not-bought kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we built that. Actually, we built two versions, built one for Africa, and then we decided that was good. That trip was actually good. That's why we call it like a test trip. It turned out to be a proper difficult trip, actually, because we thought, oh yeah, a month and a half in Africa. Let's see, let's try our equipment and then see if that's going to work for us driving from Europe to Singapore. It turned out to be not just a test trip. It was actually quite (laughs) difficult, Uh, but then we learned a lot. We learned how to drive on sand dunes. We learned how to go through a river. We learned quite a bit.
0: And which countries in
1: Africa did you go to during that trip? So Morocco, Western Sahara, Mauritania, Senegal, and Gambia.
3: So, and then on the way back of course as well yeah
1: five countries in total yeah but before that we haven't done any overlanding trip or i haven't done before any overlanding. at trip,
3: least not so. like this yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: so it was a good test to uh, drive
0: so you use the prado for your daily driver as well as an overland vehicle yeah what benefits did it have for both like uh, how did that work together for both things
3: well the, first of all, we live in the middle of the city, so we, we were owning other cars as well. So like, I couldn't possibly justify another two cars. So we just had the one and we'd had to make a compromise, I guess. It was big enough for an Overlander. We could even sleep inside. And the fact that it's not like a roof conversion, there is no pop top, there is no permanent changes in the truck other than the suspension and the snorkel. The sleeping platform inside or obviously the rooftop tent can be taken out. The sleeping platform could be taken out. So once we got home, I could remove, unbolt all these things, boxes from the roof and the rooftop tent. And then it suddenly was a normal car. Okay. It looked a lot better than a normal car because it was lifted and chunky tires and everything, but still it was a a good daily driver still.
0: Okay. So you did this trip to Africa what did you take away from that trip? Like, what did you learn in terms of about yourself or about Africa or the world that you didn't know going into the trip?
1: So I learned that we are so lucky just in general to live in a very developed country in the middle of Europe. So because we so many Africans dealing with water problems or or any kind of uh, problems, food problems and everything. We could easily cross any border with our European passports and the African people couldn't. So they were just, you know, gathering at the border. They tried to cross the border and they couldn't. So I, at that time, I just realized how lucky I am that i born in Hungary and I have the European passport and also that we can have access to, to water, drinking water, for example. So so it just told me that how lucky we are just in general and we don't have to, you know, always say that ah oh, complain but, about yeah, anything. Complain about everything, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, you guys are so funny. You were telling me last night about Hungarians. <laughs> just yeah. complain.
1: Yeah, it compl- compl- all the time. It's a Hungarian habit actually. Yeah. Sorry to say that, but that's true. <laughs>
0: if
3: any Hungarians are listening, I don't care what you think. It's true. <laughs> it's true.
1: <laughs> Let's just be honest. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but we, on a smaller scale of things, we also learned that we get cold very easily because <laughs> we slept in a rooftop tent and get ice outside and uh, just frozen. And we were mm. cold a lot in Africa, which, is- which was shocking.
0: Right.
3: Yeah, but it was January, to be fair. January, February, going through the Atlas Mountains. Still, we thought it's going to be warmer than it was. Also, another thing. I have to admit that one of the factors why we went with this organized rally which I would never do again let not with that kind of organization at least not, not just don't have any issues with the organization with that organization I just wouldn't go with 150 cars again because that's how big it was and it was a rushed trip and it was too fast for I think we travel faster than regular overlanders anyway but it's not like we want to drive 20 hours a day so it was a bit overwhelming it was a lot of driving and a lot of distance and a lot of, uh, I would say, chaos in like trying to get from A to B. Anyway, so I wouldn't do that again. But one of the reasons why we signed up to that rally was because we'd never been to Africa and we are like, okay, Northwest Africa, we don't know how it is there. Let's go with other people. And this is like, this sounds fun. So let's do that. When We plan a trip like let's say this one and we are gonna go to South America or Mexico or places like that. And obviously our friends and family are asking us, how come you're going there? It's so dangerous and like you're gonna get killed. Those kind of comments that many people get when they plan trips to these countries. I'm kind of getting upset when I get those questions. I'm like, why do you think that? You've never been there, you just Mm. hear the news and you think it's bad and people shoot that there's a lot of killings and whatever but i i was the same kind in a way when i planned my trip to we planned our trip to africa like we were comfortable more comfortable to go with other people than alone and we would have been fine of course right so
1: yeah because on the way back we didn't have any issues because on the way back we were alone, alone or yeah. almost alone
3: and yeah it was yeah. fine of we, course
0: yeah and you guys was it 2 weeks from Hungary down.
3: It to was about sixteen days from yeah, 16 from days. Hungary to the Gambia, so it's it's a lot of distance, like eight thousand kilometers or something. And then on the way back, we took our time and then stopped in places where we wanted to. But otherwise, it's because it's a kind of a that rally we're talking about. It's kind of a challenge to do. So you gotta be there. Your your truck has to be able to do it. Your you have to be able to do it. The advantage of that doing that rally was that we got to places we wouldn't we wouldn't be going like because mm-hmm. it went through some really sketchy areas actually where the military was guarding the, the camp because it would have been a target. Too many people from Europe in one place in the desert apparently uh, would have been a target. So we went far into the Sahara Desert as well in Mauritania. So we wouldn't have done it alone. So things for, for, for those kind of things, it was a very good experience and we met fantastic people on the trip.
0: Nice. Yeah. How would you prepare for another rally if you are going to do one versus a longer-term overland
3: trip? I wouldn't do a rally. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> for so I w- I folks would... out
0: there that are, want to do a rally, yeah. let Okay. okay.
3: All right. Actually, yeah. there was a guy from California who's done the same trip, <clears throat> uh, Mark. There's a lot of things to consider because you either buy – because it starts in Europe, in Hungary, but obviously once you're in <laughs> Europe, you can buy the truck or the, the car that you want anywhere in Europe and then – just use those plates and drive to Africa, sell it there if you want to drive it back to Europe and sell it then. but then what Mark's done he weighed the pros and cons of buying it locally in California, upgrade the truck in a way that he wanted to buy everything test it, gone to a four like a four wheel drive driving course things so he could do that with his own truck and then he shipped it and then used the truck sold it in or actually he gave it away in Africa to a charity. One thing is the vehicle to consider the second thing is whether you want to go to an the other side of the planet and do a rally like this, or you want to do something like the Baja rallies. I'm sure there is rallies in Africa like that or in, uh, in Asia as well like that. But it's fun because you meet a lot of like-minded people in a very short period of time. So if you don't have time for uh, like a six-month overland trip on your own, then these tend to be much shorter because most people doing this specific rally were on just a yearly vacation for two weeks because then you can do it that you can fit it in so that's I guess that's another advantage of it
0: mm-hmm. and you a can, lot of the rallies the purpose of it is to leave a vehicle behind a in the lot of it would be yeah like the donate. like the, mm-hmm.
3: like the charity rally that I've attempted to do in 2014 and we didn't make it there but yeah that was the same kind of idea although for example compared to this rally to that one is like one of like the the African one was to all 150 cars going almost with the same pace every day, checking in like every stage kind of thing. Although there's different categories you might not need to check in, but there's like the rally was going as a group together. Whereas with the London to Mongolia charity rally was like you leave on one specific day if you want together. And it's like, there's like a ceremony and then you arrive in Ulaanbaatar whenever you want. So you take as long as you want, any route you want. Whereas the, the African rally was like a set route.
0: What were the names of those rallies you participated
3: in? So the African was the Budapest Bamako rally. And the, the London to Mongolia was the, the Mongolia charity rally. Because there's the Mongol rally, but that's totally that's different. different. So this is a Mongolia charity rally. Gotcha. Very yeah. cool. And of, of course, so we not only, we were not only doing rallies, but we were doing our own little road trips and camping trips mm-hmm. as well, other than Scandinavia and these rallies. So right. we didn't just do these organized rallies. We've done... I've done a lot of road trips with friends a lot. Like in Europe, it's, I think Europe is fantastic to do road trips. Not necessarily, at least not the Western part for off-roading or remote backcountry camping because there are too many people for that in Europe. Uh, it's too crowded for that. Eastern part, you can do it. Southern part, yeah. But for road trips and maybe staying in organized campsites, yeah, that's, it's, it's beautiful.
0: So you finished the Africa trip slash rally. Yep. And then you went back home. Yep. To prepare for the big...
3: Not really.
1: Oh! Yeah. We, we went back home... We went
3: back home for like a week.
1: Yeah, for a week. But after that, we flew uh, flew to uh, Asia. Southeast Asia. The,
3: the to Southeast, Asia to, Southeast
1: the, Asia to Vietnam to spend a month there and also to Bali. To spend okay. a month Bali. there. Yeah,
3: yeah, so we've nice. spent yeah a month in each in, in Saigon and in Bali and we just spent two months in Asia and then we flew back. So this is another thing I might... I wouldn't necessarily do again this way because sure. we flew back from Asia. So we, we spent like a, year, a month and a half in Africa, then two months in Asia, just flying there. And then we flew back to Europe and then started the trip. But that meant it was a very hectic preparation because we got back and, okay, let's upgrade the drawer system. Let's buy this. Let's order that. It's not going to arrive. We can't buy that. <laughs> so it's, I wouldn't do it this way anymore. Okay. But we were like, okay, we have two months. We're not working. Let's do something that doesn't involve sitting at home. So we flew to Asia. It was fun. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, What
0: were the highlights of the trip? You were backpacking, I imagine? We
3: we actually worked. (laughs) Oh, you did? Yeah, we actually worked online. So I was setting up the website. Evelyn was also starting her freelancer. Career, yeah, yeah I
1: guess. exactly. I tried to be at a web shop, and the drop shipping web shop, but after that I just realized that how much I love the advertisement part of marketing. So I specialize myself in Facebook and Instagram advertising and also in Google advertising. So yeah, we went to Singapore and after Singapore the I just started to work as a freelancer basically but the two months that we spent in southeast asia it was a very good time for me to learn a lot of things about online marketing so i I really appreciated that time and also we met amazing people there and we just you know you just get inspired by other people
3: because we stayed in this really cool co-working space we worked in a co-working space in bali like you have a pool and the beach is like 200 meters away but you're working all day so we were thinking okay we're gonna spend this two months between the two trips africa trip and the asian trip with work we're trying to sort of establish ourselves working online but let's not do it in europe or budapest so we flew to asia and it was like it sounds maybe sounds a bit i don't know wonderful <laughs> yes but it sounds a bit like oh that's just a, a bit too extravagant to fly to asia to work or something it was actually cheaper to stay there for those two months than staying at home
1: 100 yeah <laughs> yeah and you know it's a lifestyle so digital nomads live in uh southeast asia and work for from there yeah it's just a very cool lifestyle
0: nice yeah. how did you transition from your full what i imagine was a full-time job to being a freelancer.
1: Yeah, so I always hated this nine to five job, but I really loved marketing and I I was always working in online marketing. Yeah, I hated this office lifestyle. So I was really relieved when we just decided, okay, let's quit our job. Then I have a year to figure out what Am I gonna do with my life? And I was twenty six or twenty seven by then, so I was quite young. So I just realized you're that, still young, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I ha- I still have time to figure it out. And Southeast Asia, it just happened, you know. When I realized that, what am I gonna focus when we done with this Singapore trip? And uh, when we got back home, I was still a little bit confused. And I went to job interviews and I stepped in the building and in the office, I looked around me and the people were so depressed and so, you know, exhausted. And I just decided, no, I I, I can't. I can't do it anymore. So I went back home after my first job interview. I registered myself on Upwork because that's a freelancer platform and you can find jobs there. And I was, yeah, just really focused to find an online job there. So that's where I got my first client and the other clients just came by recommendations.
0: That's so powerful. The word of mouth, Mm, like you have one client do a really, really good job. They will recommend you to a bunch of other people who will recommend you to other people. And that's, I think even with social media and email and all that, it seems like word of mouth is still super powerful yeah yeah and what were you doing
3: so i'm originally before? i'm a lawyer and i work for investment companies in london and i've done it remotely from budapest most of the time but i spent a lot of time in london as well before and i like a lot of parts of my job at least initially i used to but i mostly like the whole environment with like i worked with very smart people i worked with like challenging tasks and everything but after a while it just got to be too difficult for for what i like compared to what i want to do like be outdoors, you know, spend more time with travel. And, and this was like very strict corporate environment that I didn't like anymore, even though I was very lucky to work remotely pre-pandemic world. You know, right. I was working for like seven years from my own apartment for a boss that was a thousand miles away. And that was again, still like, it still got to a level. And I'm like, okay, I went to Mongolia with my mates. I, I know I want to get out of this job and finally we quit in 2017 but it's very hard so I guess because I don't dislike all of the parts of my job but it it gives me the opportunity to do this right now Mm -hmm. it's very hard to get away from it but I did three times but that means I went back three times (laughs) so this is what's happening now like I, I quit my, well, it's, it's not, a say job and it's really a job, but I also have like clients because I work as a consultant and it also goes through recommendation. And But it's just um, a very official, very strict world working for these big companies and, and it's just, I want this. Like, you know, you look outside and there's a river there. It doesn't involve that. What I'm trying to do is set up my own online business and like do my own things online as well. So I'm in the process of doing that. But chances are I will just going back and work for another, like do another six month project, maybe 12 month project. And then we're off to the Antarctica again. I don't know. I find that this is a very frequent question when you talk to people, especially people who are not overlanding or not long term, like how can you afford it? How do you do it? And the main answer that we have usually is we don't buy stuff. You know, we don't buy the latest phones. We don't buy new clothes. We don't buy new cars. We don't, we don't have a car loan, especially if somebody is asking who's paying for like a $700 monthly car loan and asking us, like, how can you do this? How can you afford this? I'm like, there's your answer. I mean, but if that's your preference to drive a brand new truck, but then not travel, like you can't. maybe you cannot have both. Some people can. We wouldn't be able to pay for a car loan and a mortgage and everything else and then do this. So we, we decided this is our preference.
0: Making a priority and then there are always sacrifices or decisions that you have to make.
3: Yeah. And it's just, oh, no. as I said, like we're driving the the same truck that drove, we drove to Singapore. A lot of people would, would have bought, to be fair, I would have bought a separate if With my mindset now, I would have bought a separate truck for that trip right. and then sell it later.
0: So now looking back, you said that you would actually, in an ideal world, prefer to have one purpose-built vehicle for overlanding and then a separate one for a daily driver. What about that vehicle that was built for both do you feel uh, like it should have been changed?
3: I still love that truck. I love that. It's a, it's the Toyota Land Cruiser 120 Prado. It's, it's really great. It's a great truck. But, and if you're doing like two weeks overland trips, maybe a weekend trip, maybe like shorter trips, my answer would be still be the same as in like, use your daily driver, put a rooftop tent on top or sleep inside. Just do that. But if you're going on a six months plus long trip, have a purposely made overland truck because your life's going to be easier. And better on the road. Like, for example, with the Prado, it was, I wish we had like a pop top roof where we could have stood up inside. And if the weather was bad, we could have made tea or rush out tea inside, something like that. We were always outside. And the fact that we went through Central Asia and, and the Himalayas or part of the Himalayas, big mountain ranges, bad weather, if you're doing everything outside, it's not as comfortable if you just uh, have your daily driver with a rooftop tent. and also another thing is even though it's a very capable truck I would have probably bought a stronger one uh, maybe higher lift or bigger tires more recovery equipment we ha- I think we were again this is a balance how much money you want to spend and how much weight you want to take and I think weight is equally important as money in in these terms and uh, like a winch or high lift jack or things like that if you have a small car which the 120 Prado relatively is a small one you gotta decide whether you take a, a big tool that you may or may not need over a trip like that so long trips have a purposely built one shorter trips use a daily driver
1: yeah but also it was a good idea to show the people that you don't have fancy cars so if you have a family car you can just upgrade it it go wherever you want for an overland trip yeah so you don't yeah you can do it. fancy cars or fancy vans or but as you can see on the road, so it was a good opportunity to show the people that, that the fact that you can have a family car and you can upgrade it. It actually inspired my friend who has a, who have a Toyota Corolla, is it? A yeah, like a
3: 15-year-old Corolla.
1: <laughs> yes, a very small car. And uh, yeah, financials inspired them with this drawer system in the back, so they build their own and they could sleep inside in that small car and they went to croatia and also to slovenia last year and also this year they're gonna do that again until they they find their i don't know dream van which is um, a transporter t4 or t3 i don't i can't remember that but yeah we just inspired our friends friends and it's so cool
2: This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com.
0: Speaking of inspiring and vans, so you guys did this trip from, was it Budapest, Budapest to, to Singapore? Singapore yeah. Um, in the Prado. Yeah. And you learned a lot about that. You, like many, many other people that I've chatted with, had the experience in that vehicle and then the inside living space for longer trips becomes more important. Yeah. And so what did you choose and why?
3: I mean, my ideal dream truck was always the 70 series Troopy Land Cruiser. But then by the time we... So that would have been ideal for Budapest, Singapore trip. And we met lots of really well-built 70 series on that trip. And I was like, I was just jealous. And, but then by the time we got back and we were thinking of, okay, how permanent are we going to work online and how long and all those kind of things. And for that, a roof conversion, like a a pop-top roof, that's that's how you call it, right? Mm -hmm. Those are just... Those are great, but not enough, not big enough for for permanent living inside, which we had plans for. So we wanted a 4x4 van. We, we wanted to stick with four-wheel drive because that last part of the trip that you want to take to get to the most beautiful places, you need four-wheel drive or high ground clearance and all that. So we we're looking at all the options. We were looking at what kind of vans can we buy? What can we afford? What is on the market? And luckily in Europe, there is a, a maker, a truck maker called Iveco, which what we're sitting in right now, uh, which is a major brand. It's not known in North America, but it's a major truck maker in Europe. And they have this Sprinter, Mercedes Sprinter-sized van that they're making two diff locks, low range gearbox, four wheel drive, high ground clearance, everything that you need. So we're looking for that for two years because we weren't in a rush because then obviously COVID hit and we were like okay let's let's do this let's find one but then covid made covid just made buying these vehicles more difficult cuz everybody found out about this kind of travel style and there was a couple of vans that we looked at these are all used vans obviously that we looked at about 20 years old vans we looked at the younger ones as well but then the price just goes through the roof there was like two or three that we were just not quick enough to buy because other people bought it. Uh, and this one we're talking about a couple of days that they went up on a on a, like an advertisement site. And then suddenly this came up, we just bought it without even seeing it. Just like transfer the money straight away, talk to the, the guy in Germany, <laughs> just like, can I send you the money now? And then I think the next day I sent it. haven't even, I've obviously I've seen pictures and I've spoke to the owner, transfer the money No negotiations, nothing. I'm like, how much are you asking? Yeah, here you go. And uh, I think three weeks later, we drove there with my dad and picked it up. Of course, there was many that we didn't like. So many that we, by that time we learned what we want. Like we want a table inside. We want to sleep inside. We want to be able to stand up inside, have a little sink and fridge. Like that was like the kind of the basics. That we wanted, and this has this had everything of that and a bit more. Like it had solar panels already. It had uh, a tougher suspension.
0: So it was used for travel before you purchased it. Yeah, yeah.
3: So the owner, like two owners prior to me, built the truck, and he was a mechanic who wanted to travel the world. And unfortunately, he had a paragliding accident, so he couldn't use a manual standard anymore. He had to buy an automatic. So we had to sell this and sold it to the family whom I bought it from, and the family sold it because they had their second kid on the way, so it's too small for that. And but I think the talking of the the size of the van, it's perfect size because it's short wheel short wheelbase, uh, very high ground clearance as a like a as a base, and it's got the low range gearbox and a uh, diff locks so the engine is the weak point in a way that it's very, very, it's lacking power, like very much. <laughs> it's like 102 horsepower for a four-ton vehicle. The, the actual standard gearbox is the gear. The gears are set up in a way that it's compensating for the lack of power. Gotcha. Plus, we have the low range, so it can go anywhere, but slowly and loudly.
0: What would you change about it, or are you happy with pretty much ev- everything in we terms of? We a lot.
3: We changed a okay. lot on it. Like the main build was there and then we yeah. added few bits. Like we changed the box on the front, we changed the LED light, we changed the, I don't know, we set up our Wi-Fi kind of router. The inverter was, like there was no inverter, so I have a, a really good quality inverter. I've got um, a Victron 800 watt inverter installed. We made it, I think, a little bit nicer inside.
1: Yeah, so I put this white foil so on the furn- yeah, yeah on the furniture, so it looks more modern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also we changed the, the curtains. Drapes, yeah. yeah, and also the these cushion. metal, the cushions cushions. Yeah. Also yeah. So with the,
3: my dad helped a lot because he's yeah. like re- into DIY. He loves DIY, so he made the cushions and he helped with various bits around where it's like you know hammering and using a screwdriver involved. So. Right. We've done a bit. And also recovery, we got all our recovery gear from ARB. Uh, we got a nice awning outside. So these little things, little changes that we we just customize it for our needs. But mm-hmm. the main build was there.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it's very well laid out. And this area, the dinette folds down into a bed, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice.
1: And under this um, seating area, we have a lot of storage. So it's just really comfortable. And I know that I mentioned you before in another interview that uh, I really like these boxes to organize everything. So we bought some boxes uh, in the IKEA, put our uh, clothes in it, and also we have some plastic organizers in that cupboard so we could organize our food, our clothes, our gears, accessories, everything. So, yeah, it's it's quite And
3: obviously we've been in bigger builds and nicer, big expedition trucks and everything so we see how comfortable can a truck be and then of course when we are here inside and we cannot go outside because of the weather or whatever it's in the evening and we, we you know we are inside already and we sort of scramble around because the space is too small and but then you kind of uh okay with the small space because we compare it to the prado like yeah. we would be outside now we would be <laughs> or sitting in the tent you know like yeah, on yeah. the roof so compared to that this is luxury really and the Absolutely. fact that i can stand up is is just a big fact
0: so i'm going to go back a little bit and i want to talk about your budapest to singapore trip um which countries did you go through and how long was it so
1: it was six months total and we went through romania bulgaria uh, turkey georgia russia kazakhstan russia again a bit and uh, mongolia china laos uh, thailand Malaysia and Singapore. <laughs> wow, yeah. Did so I a lot miss- of countries. Did
3: no, no, so that big was spot on. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. What
0: were your strongest impressions about certain regions or places along the way on that trip? Because you saw a lot, obviously. those are, There's a lot of countries to go through.
3: It's a lot of countries in six months as well. So yeah. uh, other than the Prado, I would change the length of the trip in terms <laughs> of time. So it would probably a year would have been better for that distance.
1: Mm, yeah,
3: I've been to Mongolia before the trip and I keep mentioning Mongolia to you guys, but it's a, it's a fantastic place for overlanders, I think. I don't know you, but China was a, made a huge impression, especially that we were on the West part not the eastern part so we would say like less developed than the western part but it was still yeah. massively developed we came through cities i came across cities with five six million people you'd never heard of
2: wow. at
3: least i haven't heard of and, yeah. and it, roads are really well built uh, cities are massive people are extremely nice and food is is out wow. of this world it's that just so good
1: best. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. and you had to hire a guide and you sh- was it shared one or two guides with a couple of other?
3: No, there was only one guide at the time. So we had okay. two guides, but uh, split into first two weeks and then the second, well, first three weeks and the second three weeks. It was forty three days in total. So you have to have a guide, yes. If you're driving through China with your own vehicle, the guide is sitting in one of the vehicles, which is sometimes ours. Sometimes uh, we, we were three cars in our convoy. Super nice experience. The both of the guides were really nice shang and brenda i mean i guess you don't know what to expect when you go to a a totally different culture and somebody you've never met before is gonna sit with you for thousands of miles or kilometers with you and it was fantastic like we could have a lot of questions we could ask like we we had a nice chat we got to know them very well really great
0: and they speak very good english oh yeah Yeah. what were some things that you learned about that country from the guide that you wouldn't have normally Oh, yeah,
3: a lot. To learn. Yeah, I mean... Almost
1: everything. And you cannot communicate with the people, you know, there because they don't speak English, you don't speak Chinese, obviously. So, yeah, and you cannot communicate non-verbally because that's different there. So you need a guide. But we had a very nice experience. The people were so friendly with us. And we also got some presents from the people there. Yeah, because we tried to avoid the big cities. So we went through the rural area, but just friends mentioned, so the western part of China. And sometimes we just stopped at a small village I mean on the basket field basketball field and uh, the whole village just turned up and they were watching us cooking our meals for dinner and they were just asking why don't they eat rice for dinner for example because we were making Italian pasta (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they were taking uh, some photos and videos of me how I cut the onions because That was so strange for them. I don't know, maybe they have another technique for that, but that was really good. Yeah,
3: the whole village turned up like, whole village and 50 mobile phones just like pointing at us and (laughs) taking pictures and videos.
1: Yeah, we have a paparazzi photo of that. So, yeah.
3: (laughs) like everywhere you go as an overlander you stand out because you tend to end up in small villages and uh, remote places and i guess that's a little bit even more extreme in china because no overlanders go through really compared to the scale of the country Mm. and compared to how much it has to offer but i guess this guide requirement makes it difficult both financially and makes it more complicated as well or these people think it's complicated but if you find the right company to help you find the right guide then it's not that difficult. You have to provide a lot of documents,
0: right? I was going to ask you how did you find a good guide or guides, and then also how did you link up with the other mm-hmm. two travelers or we, two vehicles? I'm not sure. Yeah,
3: three is. travelers mm-hmm. t- in two vehicles, and online, of course. So first of all, uh, Facebook groups like the Asia Overland Group, I think, or maybe the China Overland Group. I cannot remember one or the other. There were recommendations there before, and also just googling it, and then we made a, a list. In like an Excel sheet, and then just you know put all the data in the Excel sheet, and then actually I didn't do that. Niels, who we were traveling with, was very organized and uh, done and it. Uh, who just collected all the information we had, and we had like monthly calls with. Oh uh, yeah, so first of all, we hooked up with the our future traveler partners, also online through the Facebook group, or yeah through the Facebook group, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, we started chatting. We created our own little Skype group and we started chatting. Who wants what? initially it was like five vehicles together and then two vehicles dropped off because of different timing or different preferences I I don't know now but it was three cars eventually and we had monthly calls and it took us about three months at least to decide which out of the six or seven companies we listed which one to go for and we were like the ones we went for the ones that were one that seem to be more accommodating than the others in terms of like, we want a wild camp, we want to go this route and that route and we want to do this, this length price obviously was discovered uh, uh considered this is how we decided we ended up with i think it's called adventure-china.com and shang is is a really great guy he's uh, managing the company yeah i can send it to anybody if anybody's asking but yeah it's 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 possible to find it in the facebook groups like uh through yes. recommendations and we also met other travelers through everybody ends up in laos most people ends up in laos after China from Mongolia or if people do it, obviously the other way around. But from Europe, you end up in, in Laos and you meet a lot of other people who were going through China at the same time, but obviously on other routes with other companies. And a lot of, well, some of them were complaining that they didn't get what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They didn't actually go through those routes that they agreed to or, you know, those kind of things. And we, we didn't have a single issue or problem. And our group worked really well as well. So other mm-hmm. groups, it's again, you are sort of locked in for 40-odd days with other travelers. Many, many times that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Ours was just like a dream team. Yeah, so. so. It was really good. That's yeah. wonderful.
0: So you did you plan out the entire route and plan out where you wanted to camp or which villages you wanted to go and mm. then gave it to the guide, or did they have some input? Uh,
3: roughly the, be- the, uh, the provinces.
0: Okay. So only yeah. the provinces. And you can choose your own adventure, sort of
3: sort of you can yeah. yeah and then if you want to go through tibet province that's an additional few permits
0: and stuff gotcha spending so much time with the guide were there things that you learned about china like politically or just what the life is like for the local people or anything food related yeah that you lot, that was think. In yeah, particularly think interesting everything.
3: yeah, yeah. Um, so things like again you know these things spread among travelers or future travelers like Oh, You have to have a guide in China, he must be a spy who will then report on you to the government in some ways. And it's like it's total BS,
0: <laughs> you know. It's not, I didn't even think
3: about that. No, that's that's what that's what we, we, we actually are. So, are you reporting? Oh, <laughs> 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 well, it was a joke by then because yeah. we got to know oh, okay. we, You're joking we, it, it was, uh, it was, uh, we, we became. Yeah, really good friends yeah. by then. But so we could actually ask these kind of silly questions.
1: And he laughed. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good sign. And he
3: said, no, he wasn't. <laughs> but, but then, so things like that. And also when we went through the uh, the smaller uh, or yeah, very tiny villages, but in like the Tibetan culture areas, he told us a lot of information about how they live and what they do and how they bury their dead or how, for example, food. We were all really interested in food because yes. it was fantastic. There's, I've been to a lot of Chinese places around the world, a lot, but it doesn't. it's not the same. I don't know why, but it's...
0: What were these dishes you were having? What, I don't know the
3: names. Of? I mean, they were... A lot of them were vegetable-based.
1: Okay. Yeah, Fruit, uh,
3: plant-based.
1: Yeah, sorry. My favorite was <laughs> the bok choy. And I'm so happy that in Canada, I can buy bok choy anywhere anywhere. so we always have some pak choice in our freeze so that was my favorite and also broccoli with some mushrooms in you know oyster sauce this was another famous chinese dish eggs with some tomatoes and they put it on pasta and also on the top of the rice so you can eat it with pasta or rice whatever you like so that was these were my favorites and also we ate Beijing duck
3: I like think the smallest place is like just on the side of the road let's say we drove for 3 hours and it's lunchtime and we are in the mountains somewhere it is sm- not even a village just like a shack you can go inside and and order and it doesn't even look clean or anything then we would order the food was fantastic every single time we've stopped in one of these dodgy places i was obsessed with food there So i was at lunch i was waiting for dinner and dinner for lunch
1: yeah and sometimes the uh, owner of the restaurant allowed me to go back to the kitchen and have a look at the fridge and just decide what we would like to eat I mean we could pick our vegetables and our meat yeah but thanks to our guides because uh, or our guide because uh, she and he was really uh, kind to us and uh, they just wanted to make sure that we have a very good time in China so they always ask the owners of the restaurants uh, that we could go you know to the kitchen and have a look around and, and to decide what we would like to eat
0: what a cool experience yeah
1: and also they were really open-minded about uh white camping because what we heard from other groups that the guide was really strict about you know about camping so they couldn't camp or they had to go to uh touristic hotels so they spent a fortune on the yeah. hotels yeah but our guides just are
3: took their own
1: they yeah. amazing yeah sorry
3: Yeah, they had their own tent with them. So they, like, we camped all together in, like, in really, like, the Tibetan plateau or a similar area. We were lucky to go through the the remote for us it seemed remote parts of china
0: yeah what were some cultural experiences that you had that changed the way that you see the world anywhere in that whole trip it doesn't have to be china it could be anything
3: very very deep question i have to think <laughs> very, i have to think about it but in, i think it's more like in general like for example how careful we need to be with our resources and it's um so that's not that's not necessarily a cultural thing but On the other hand, we see now waste everywhere. Like we went through China, there's... Oh, not China, but like the whole of Asia. And it's just... And it's not just there, but talking of this trip, there's garbage everywhere. And the beaches are in a really bad shape. So it was an eye-opening kind of uh a trip i guess to how careful we need to be with this planet right now because it could be too late and it's it's a cliche because this comes from everywhere now tv radio whatever podcast whatever mm-hmm. whatever you're reading it's all about that now and people may get bored of this but it's so true it's so true so that's uh Yeah, I mean, again, another thing is that we learned is that we, maybe now talking of cultures, the local people are always really nice and and maybe on a bigger scale of things, politics ruins everything. Mm. And that could be true for Iran. We went through Iran in 2014. The most fantastic people in the world are Iranians. Or like uh, went through places where, where I think generally people wouldn't choose as a as a travel destination necessarily, like Kazakhstan, we met had fantastic people in Kazakhstan. They are very, very welcoming. And just in general, how local people live, wherever you go, like where you go very far, people go to, like kids go to school, people go to work, parents pick them up and it's life goes on. And maybe they are half as rich as the Western world, but life is normal. Life is totally fine. I think that's, uh, that's that's something that we learned. Or like parts of Southeast Asia that used to be poor, now it's kind of very developed. Thailand and Malaysia and places like that. Just talking about generally about resources and stuff, you learn how to be resourceful with water very much. Or electricity, actually. It's yeah. like, do you run out of electricity or your battery is going to last until the morning or or your food is going to go off because the fridge stops working or, or you run out of water and you cannot drink in the morning? Things like that and you just careful.
0: And back home, I think we're used to turning the tap on. And
3: take it for granted. And yeah.
0: definitely. Uh, and so it's, you're re- rewiring your brain. We, Use only what you have because you don't know when. And we, it was funny. It was we so went. Uh,
3: we met a Canadian uh, girl who, they were with the whole family. They were traveling through to, all the way to Malaysia and then back uh, with a camper van. And she said she went back to, because we met them like a year later as well. Uh, in europe so she said she she went back to the office to work same job she went back to and then she was standing around in the in the office kitchen or whatever and somebody was opening the fridge and then talking to her and just like leaving the fridge open and she closed the fridge because she got annoyed with the fridge being open <laughs> yeah because you're really careful with like your yeah. that's you got a small fridge and it's running off of the batteries and you don't want to lose the coldness of the, the fridge Yeah. Just, just careful I remember closing the faucet on somebody else. Like, you had it run, handed running water. I'm like, you're not not using that.
0: (laughs) I remember coming back and doing dishes by hand with hot water and it being like this big deal. And I was all, I would be obsessed with washing dishes from (laughs) then on. And people are like, just put it in the dishwasher. I'm like, but I have hot water and soap. This is so amazing. Like, it was weird, but (laughs) it changes you. What was the most hilarious thing that happened during your Budapest to Singapore trip?
3: There was was a few funny things happened.
1: Yeah, so we met um, a Russian family in Kazakhstan uh, next to a campsite, and we were just decided to park close to the buildings there. They were like Weekend cottages. One of them, the Russian family invited us to their cottage to have a dinner together, but we couldn't, cannot speak Russian and they cannot, uh, they couldn't speak English. So we had a whole night together, having a really good time together, but we were speaking via the Google translator all night. Yeah, it was fantastic. And also in Mongolia, we went through a national park and uh, there was a really, really flooded area. So we just decided, let's take a a turn.
3: Go around it. The field next to it looked better than the road which is like a track, really, it's not a road.
1: Yeah, and it turned out it was horse poo, <laughs> the, the whole yeah, area. Yeah, the whole
3: area. And, and we just
1: <laughs> sank, really? Oh, no. really. Yeah,
3: the whole truck just like <laughs> just sat in, in the whole puddle of, of, of horse manure. We stepped out of the car and we sank until like mid-thighs. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, I lost my flip-flops there, and they are still there. <laughs> yeah.
3: So it was pretty difficult to recover the truck from there, but we were like, we were covered in crap, really. (laughs) And we were. We didn't know what to do. It, was, it took us like two hours until the first Land Cruiser that was big enough to pull us out uh, arrived. So we were sitting there, not not in a level way, and we're like, "How are we gonna even sleep here? If we like, we are covered in this thing. And what are we gonna do now?" And then, obviously, you end up in situations like this, and it always resolves itself somehow. I think the most hilarious story that we have from that trip, and it's not it's not our story, but we heard it from the person that happened with this this girl who was running her motorcycle from switzerland to mongolia and she stopped in some dodgy motel in uh, kazakhstan and there was this person knocking on her door during the night and then when she opened the door there was this guy standing with a gun and when the guy sees her he says oh, sorry wrong door <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, no! Oh, and,
1: he asked, and he asked her out the next day what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> for a date yes
2: yeah. was...
0: you guys are now in canada with you're a Yep. And so you finished up your, your Singapore trip. And then what did you have a couple of few years at home? We went to Australia. Just for a wedding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we, went, we had this little road trip in Australia. We, it, wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily an overlanding trip, but it, it was a massive, it was a longish uh, road trip on the East Coast. Of Australia and it was connected uh, the the main purpose of going there was actually a very good friend of mine's wedding and then we've done obviously a little two three weeks yeah. trip there and then I think that was the you know, last trip since like after that the world has changed so yes, the world has so changed, we've done yeah. that and then we already knew like let's buy a van come back to Australia or let's uh, bring our Prado back to Australia something like that but then obviously all those plans went out the window and then we are here now because now we can travel again.
0: Right. So. I was going to say, so you, you have this van and you shipped from Germany to Halifax in yep. Canada. Yeah. How did you decide that the Pan-American Highway was next for you?
3: We wanted something as big as the Budapest-Singapore mm-hmm. trip. And then there's two options. We either drive through Africa or we do this, the Pan-American. And the Pan-American, obviously, we've done a bit of Africa already. So let's do something else mm-hmm. so that's how we ended up doing the, the pan-american and i think it's bigger as well like in terms of like length and i don't know i've been to south america before and i, I just know i want to go back so i i want to do that and i've never been to central america and evelyn's never been on on the american continents yeah, so, so so it's always like the i don't know the the scale was tipping towards mm-hmm. the americas we we are really overwhelmed with what we've seen in the last four weeks already so yeah. i don't know what this next uh year and five months brings if that's how it's going to be i don't know
0: so you've come from the maritimes of in canada across the country yeah. and uh you're actually getting close to the western side so you've made it Almost all the way across, actually. Um, what are some... You've never been to North America before? No, never. What is it like? Like, did you have preconceived notions of what it would be like here? Are there weird things that you're like, why is this like this? What's surprising? It
1: may sound silly, but I just thought, friends that everything is like in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> You know this big milk in the in the supermarket. <laughs> yes.
3: Just little things, pieces. little details, uh, seemed very <laughs> yeah. funny or strange to Evelyn. Yeah, I
1: yeah, and also the scenery, these proper campsites. Yeah, just like in the movies. So uh, for me, it's just wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I, I like, I, I love Canada, especially the people here. They are so friendly. They are really. I don't know, chat, chatty with us. They are really friendly and always ask us, how do we feel ourselves here? Do we have a good time here? They also invite us to their field to stay there. I mean, to their uh, garden or, or to, to their house to stay there. Yeah. So, and, and they are very helpful as well. So.
0: I'm glad yeah. to hear that as a Canadian. I'm always yeah. like, oh, I hope they're having a good time. <laughs> oh, no, brilliant. Yeah, really That's good. great. So you're going to head up to? So
3: yeah, so we're near Banff now. We're going to head to Alaska, towards Alaska, and we're going to discover the northwestern side of Canada as well. A bit of Alaska. Now we know we're probably not going to go to Tuck, <laughs> which is fine. I think I think the only reason why we would have gone to or the main reason we would have gone to talk is just to be able to say that we went to the northern coast, so we can say that we went to the Arctic. We're gonna go north enough, I think, and it's not the point is not to be able to say something important is to have a you know enjoy our trip and discover whatever we want to discover. And we're gonna go into Alaska and then we turn around and start heading south. And um, I've never I spent a bit of time in on the east coast of the US but never been on the west coast or on the western side. So that's going to be really great. And going into those that's the southwest of the US really looking forward to that. And I've never been south of the US in Central America, only to South America. So
0: there are one of two questions that I usually ask on every podcast. And In this one, I'm going to ask you if you could choose any country in the whole world to go to right now, where would you go and why? You go first. Oh,
1: it's hard to choose. I would say Chile, because I have never been there, but I saw some pictures on the internet and I also heard stories from other overlanders that it's just a beautiful country, so diverse. I'm really looking forward to, to see it in person. Uh, yeah, I would say Chile, but also Peru.
3: Oh. So, so it's hard to choose, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I had these twenty seconds to think about it, but I don't have a good answer <laughs> because there's too many options. It's too many. I mean, I guess the reason why we're here because this was our choice to be here, so that's mm-hmm. why we're here. I mean, right now, I don't want to be anywhere else. Uh, I wanna I want to. See, yeah, <laughs> right. I want to see what's you know north of here. I want to see what's there. But then you know, we were looking f- through the. We went through the the plans of where we can go and based on your advice where we could be in central and south america and all those places and i said like we i, I cannot wait to to be around there but then i don't want to wish this trip away in yes. terms of like you know like okay like that, that place can wait and we see what's here and
0: be in the moment yeah. just soak it all in because you never yeah. know when you're going to be back
3: yeah. yeah and then uh, people are going to ask which was which part was the highlight of the trip and i won't won't have an answer for that because i don't have an answer for the budapest singapore trip either or the budapest africa trip or i just cannot choose because there are too many good places to see and i think we've seen a big part of the planet but still very little no. there's still too much to see
0: if people want to find you online where should they go i know your website is very, very thorough and uh, has a lot of resources and a lot of time has been put into it. So yeah, let us know where we can find you.
3: Yeah, the website is overlandsite.com as in S-I-T-E, overlandsite.com. And of course the Instagram, which is overlandsite underscore com. And we're trying to build a YouTube channel now. Uh, We have a lot of footage from our earlier trips as well that I just never had the energy to edit together or like create the, the stories, which I will. I promise. But now, right now we're building or or creating the videos about this trip. So pretty much as we go, pretty much live.
0: Same name for the YouTube channel. Um, Thank you guys so much for being guests on the Overland Journal podcast. I so appreciate you sharing your experiences and all the funny things that happen, your goals and everything. So thank you for having me as a guest in your Aveco. We're really excited to follow your journey south.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Really. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much to all of the Overland Journal listeners and subscribers for tuning into this episode and we will catch you next time. Bye.